As you look around us and we've mentioned it and you're living it every single day, I just want to tell you that there's good news today. I mean, if you're feeling helpless and hopeless and just discouraged and downcast over everything going on around you, be it at home, at work, in our society, things in our culture, I want to tell you, a lot of people just are carrying this burden with them right now of so many cares and concerns and discouragements and challenges and trials, all of those things. But I, I, I tell you, there's, there's three words that I think that we need to plug into our mind and keep fresh in our heart. I mean, three words, a total of five syllables. And you can remember this. Here it is. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So, so no matter how challenging our life may look or feel, we need to remember that we're not living our best life now. That there is something far greater in the future and we can know with absolute assurance upon the, the, the promises of God's word that he is coming. As we think about Jesus coming, 1,800 plus times his second coming is mentioned in the Old Testament. Over 300 times his second coming is mentioned in the New Testament. And can I tell you, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas. But for every one prophecy about the first coming of Jesus, there are about eight considering the second coming of Jesus. So we need to remember and we need to know, we need to put it in our mind, we need to hide it in our heart, we need to walk with the sense of joy because... Jesus is coming. So take your Bibles with me and turn to Matthew chapter 24. And I want us to think about the truth that Jesus is coming. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to pick up in verse number 36. Matthew chapter 24 and pick up in verse number 36. It says this, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day they entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready." For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today? And Lord, would you just give us full hearts, filled with the truth that you live in us now, you care for us, you're with us. But Lord, help us to have a full heart because one day we know you're coming for us. And oh, what a day 
that will be, and we look forward to it and pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. As you open Matthew chapter 24, you see in this chapter that Jesus makes three great promises. The first promise is in verse number eight, where he says that this is the beginning of sorrows or tribulation. He tells us that there is for sure coming a day of tribulation. And we looked at those signs of the travailing tribulation times uh, last week where he said that there's going to be false Christs and false prophets, where there's going to be wars and rumors of war, and there's going to be famines, and there's going to be earthquake, and there is going to be persecution, and there's going to be lawlessness, and there is going to be the gospel, the hope uh, uh, for the world that would go out. He tells us that there are signs that we need to be watching for. The tribulation is coming. That's Jesus says the tribulation is coming. The second promise that Jesus gives us is not only tribulation is coming, but his word is enduring. If you notice with me in Matthew 24, 35, the verse that right we that we looked at just uh, before the verse we looked at today in verse 36, it says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Away. So we find that no matter what goes on on the earth, that God's word is not going anywhere. Now, people may burn it, despise it, destroy it, hate it, disagree with it, all of those kinds of things. They can outlaw it. They can confiscate it. But the truth of the matter is, is Jesus makes it very clear. Heaven and earth can pass away, but God's words are here forever. The third promise that Jesus makes is this. He's coming. Notice that last verse that he that we looked at. The Son of Man is coming. It is very clear that as Jesus looks ahead to the future and he says, look, there's going to be a time of travail and tribulation that is ahead of you. And I believe that we are in the last days, but it is only going to get even much worse. And as he looks ahead, he says, this is going to be chaos on the earth. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. And there there's going to be all kinds of destruction and difficulty and challenge and famine and earthquakes and and All kinds of horrific things are going to happen. But he says, no matter what happens, my word's going to endure. And I want you to know, I am coming. What if today was that day that you met the Lord? Whether he came or you went. What if today was that day? Would you know that you are ready? Would you know? Do you have that confidence in your heart that says, I am ready? Now, as we get into this passage that we look at today, Jesus tells us that he is coming, but he lays out some truths for us to understand. And the first is this, is that no one, no one really knows when the Lord is going to come. No one knows when the Lord will come. He makes that very clear in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 36. He says, no one knows, which means this, that no man knows when the Lord is going to come. Now, you can look around you and there are men out there who make their 
predictions and they can say, well, we've seen this happen and we've counted this number of years since this event took place. And oh yeah, now these moons are lining up and the stars are aligning and there's blood moons and, and there's all this chaos going around us. Listen, can I tell you, no man is going to outwit God and out uh, maneuver the scripture when the Lord says, no one knows when I am coming. No one, period. No one knows. Can I save you some money? When you see these folks on TV telling you that they know when the Lord's going to come, when, when, when they tell you it's going to happen in this time frame, I have a book in my library that I keep in there just for this exact purpose. It is this. I bought it uh, in probably 1987, early 1988, and this is the book. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Was Going to Happen in 1988. I have it in my library. I can take it downstairs and show it to you. But the truth of the matter is no one knows. We were in Dallas a few years ago for the Southern Baptist Convention. And while we were in Dallas, uh, we were walking around the grassy knoll. You remember uh, the, the street where uh, JFK was, was assassinated? I don't know if you've been down there ever, but you know, there's a bunch of conspiracy theorists down there that uh, set up shop on, on the sides of the streets. And so one guy, we're, we're there and he's sitting down and he's rather unkempt looking and he's carried in his little table with, with his uh, DVDs and books and all those kinds of things. And he says something along this, this line. Now, let me tell you, there are 261 conspiracy theories surrounding the death and the assassination of John F. Kennedy. But there is only one based on fact. And for 1995, if you will buy what I have, then you will really know the truth. Can I tell you, there are people out there who are guessing and trying to predict and sell us on the fact that they know when the Lord's coming. And verse 36 says, no one knows. But not only does it say no one, no man knows, but also gives the pictures that even the angels do not know. The angels in heaven don't know when the Lord's come, going to come. I mean, the angels who are there at the throne, and we see that picture of the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, and as they, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and they're ready at any moment when God speaks to them to, to, to fulfill God's will and to, to follow God's plan and do whatever he wants. They are servants and worshipers around the throne ready to step and fly or do whatever they need to do to make sure God's will is complete. Completed, he says, even those that are at the throne with me, worshiping in praise, do not know. No one knows. And then he makes this statement at the end where he says, only my father or but my father only. Which gives us the picture as we look at this uh, in comparison with the other gospels that Jesus himself at this time didn't know. Now, now, this is a theological challenge when we think of something that Jesus didn't know. And, and, and how does, does Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, as fully God, how did he not know something? There may have been some kind of, uh, of way he was subjected to the will of the Father in which he chose not to know something. I tell you, it's a theological conundrum, all right? And, and if you can explain it better than me, then I'll be happy to sit down and, and let you do that. But the truth of the matter is, is the picture is, is that only the father knows that the son didn't even know at this time. But Matthew 28, 18, I think it's Jesus after the resurrection says, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And after that, I do believe he knows now. And I believe that that time could be soon.
no one knows when the Lord will come. When I was a child, uh, you know, we didn't have all these uh, video games. Actually, I was about in fourth or fifth grade when, when they had the first football game come out. Uh, I don't even remember what they called it, but kids today wouldn't even like it. So anyway, so it don't really make any difference. But uh, when, when football one came out and I was in like the fourth grade and then number two came out and you could actually pass it, that was just amazing, okay? So, so anyway... But it was just blips on a screen, okay? There, there was no, nobody looked like anybody, just blips on the screen. So, but, but because we didn't have all that stuff, we played outside, okay? I mean, we'd ride our bikes, we would leave in the morning, and then, you know, after lunch, we might check in, or we'd stay and hang out with friends, you know, their mom make us a bologna or a peanut butter sandwich, and we'd hang out with friends. But we loved when it got to be about 8.30 in the summer, because that's when we would start playing hide-and-seek right when it started to get a little bit dark. And, and, and we would gather, we had a big weeping willow tree in our backyard. We'd gather around that weeping willow tree and we would count out, we'd play hide and seek and those that were hiding would go off and, and, and we would count uh, at the weeping willow tree and then turn around and yell, ready or not, here we come. Now, you could have the best spot that no one would have ever known or you could have had been standing in the front yard like this, I have nowhere to go. The truth of the matter is, is when we yelled that, we were coming. Whether you were ready or not. Which brings us to our second thought. Not only does not, no one knows when the Lord will come, but secondly, many will not be ready when the Lord comes. Many will not be ready. The picture is, is, is Jesus has said, look, watch for these things at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. But the truth of the matter is, is people aren't watching. Matter of fact, he illustrates this by using Noah as this illustration. Notice back with me in Matthew chapter 24 and pick up in, in verse number 38, or verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What does he say? During Noah's day, people were just doing their own thing. Now, Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5 said that their thoughts and their minds were continually on wicked things. Here in Matthew 24, Jesus says people were, were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They were just self-absorbed and self-focused. They were doing their own thing. And obviously, some of them had wicked intentions and doing wicked things. But I, I think that many people just, God wasn't on their radar. They were living a horizontal life. Uh, we're going to work, we're taking care of our family, uh, we're partying a little bit on the weekends, we're, we're watching babies come, we're watching people uh, grow, we're uh, handing our kids off as they get married, we're doing all of these things that natural society does, and as we're doing those things, we're just thinking about ourselves. It's only about what we want, our self-pleasure, our self-fulfillment. We're self-made people. It's all about us. And that's the picture that we see. And, and Noah here is building this ark, this larger-than-football-sized boat out in the middle of nowhere. And he's preaching for a 100-plus years, preaching the message that judgment is going to come. Turn to God. Follow God. Turn to Him. Listen to Him. And people just live horizontally. A few weeks ago, we were in Branson, and we were able to see 
uh, Noah at Sight and Sound Theater. And what they did was, obviously, there's not a whole lot on the story of Noah in the Scripture itself. And so they said, you know, this is a fictional drama and characterization of, of what could have been going on during Noah's day. And they have Noah there, and they have his brother. They're both the sons of Lamech, grew up in the same house. Their grandfather is Methuselah, uh, which if you've ever heard the phrase, old as Methuselah, he lived the longest, 969 years. So they're the, the grandsons of Methuselah, godly man. They're the, the sons of Lamech, grew up in the same house. And the picture is, is that Noah is building the ark, and all his brother thinks about is what's going on in the culture, and what's going on in politics. Politics, and how can I make a name for myself? And how can I grow in power and authority and responsibility? And Noah over here is embarrassing me. And he's, he's going against all the culture and all the people that I stand for. And then they had this drama around one of Noah's sons and, and his wife and her parents. So this is the, the in-laws. And, and they're pulling on their daughters saying, look, don't believe these people. These people People are nuts. You, you, can't, you can't follow them. And, and they're trying to coax their daughter to come back home and to get away from Noah. And we think about this. Listen, Noah probably had many brothers and sisters, had probably many aunts and uncles and whole boatload of cousins. And no one listened. There were people all around him in that day. And no one listened. Why? They just lived a horizontal life. Life's just about me. What can I get? What can I do? What can I gain? What can I pursue? And then came that day. And the door of the ark was closed. And the day of grace was over. The day of salvation had come and gone. And now it was judgment. And Jesus drives this home. And says, let me tell you that the coming in the future is illustrated just like Noah built that ark in the past. But not only does he say the past, but then Jesus turns his eyes and he begins to look at the future. And he predicts that many people will not be ready when he comes. And he builds illustration after illustration after illustration on how people will not be ready. So when we think about many not being ready, Jesus says, look at the past. It's illustrated in Noah's day, but it is predicted in the future. And then notice with me back in the scripture, he begins to to take note. Notice with me in verse number 40. He says that two men will be out in the field and one will be taken. The next verse, there are two women that are at the mill and one is taken and the other is left. Two people working side by side. They're, they're doing their daily chores. They're following and fulfilling the plan that, that's going to put bread on their table. And one is ready for the Lord to come and one is not ready. One's not ready. He, he doesn't stop there though, because he keeps building these illustrations up. No, notice with me. He, he says that there's two men and that there's two women. Then he gives the picture in verse number 43. And he says that there's an owner of a house. And the owner of the house, if he would have just known what hour of the night the thief was coming, then he would have been ready for him. 
the picture implies that he really kind of knew or thought that, that somebody was coming for the house, but he wasn't at watch every hour. And if you notice, you take, you take back up at verse number 37, where he says the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man were. And then notice in verse number 38, where he says, until that day. Noah taught us that we need to be ready on that day that Jesus comes. But notice the owner of the house teaches us that we need to be watching every hour. That gives the picture that we need to be ready at every moment. Then he builds another illustration and gives the story beginning in verse number 45, specifically in verse 47, 48, where he says there's this evil servant and the evil servant is entrusted with the things of the, 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 the master's house. And instead of taking care of his people and doing the work, he begins to beat those who are the servants and begin to abuse them. And guess what? Then the master shows up and brings judgment. And then Jesus gives us one more parable. And remember that the the verses and chapters were added later for our convenience. Jesus gives a story about 10 young women, 10 virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And he comes at midnight, but only five of them have oil in their lamp. Five of them were not ready. They didn't bring any, any preparation for their candle to be burning. So Jesus says, look, I'm looking back at the past and I'm saying, there's Noah back there and people weren't ready in his day. But let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. There's going to be two guys out on the farm together and one of them's not going to be ready. And there's going to be two ladies down at the factory together and one of them is not going to be ready. And just like the owner of a house doesn't know what hour the thief is coming, he's going to catch some man who's not ready. And just like a servant who has been entrusted with things and God has given us so much, he's given us resources and he wants us to steward them well. And he says, and he's going to come and they're not going to be ready. And then he says, and then there's going to be 10 young women and only five of them are going to be ready. Do you see the picture here? The picture is, is, is Jesus is coming. No one knows when, but many will not be ready. They won't 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 be ready. Five times he illustrates this in the future. And then one time in the past with Noah. Many will not be ready when Jesus comes. Which then drives it home to us. This is the personal part. It's easy to look out at everybody else, but this is the personal part here. You must be ready when Jesus comes. You must be ready. We, we need to drive this home. Because if he, if he looks to the past and says, there's people who've not been ready, and he looks in the future and says, hey, there's going to be people there who aren't ready, then, then those of us who are hearing this, we surely need to wake up and say, uh, I need to be ready. You need to be ready. First off, you need to be ready spiritually. You need to be ready spiritually. The Bible says that none of us can enter into a perfect heaven with a perfect God on our own merit. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means this, that all of us at some time in our life have failed to live up to the holy standard of perfection that God requires for someone to get to heaven on their own. All of us have fallen short. Now, you may have fallen just in your mind just a a few inches or a few feet. Or you may be a Grand Canyon away, or you may be a planet away. But the picture is, is all of us fall short. All of us. 
I mean, if we picture it this way, I was watching a special on Evil Knievel yesterday, and you guys don't even know who that is, but he used to jump, he used to jump things on his motorcycle, all right? And so in the, in the 70s, he decided he was going to uh, ride this rocket thing over the Snake River Canyon in Idaho. And can I tell you, if you and I tried to jump the Snake River and Canyon in Idaho, and we just did it with all of our might, and, and we'll just say uh, some of you are in better shape than I am, all right? So you're able to take off running, and you can run faster, and you can jump higher, and you can go 10 feet in your jump. And say I'm slow and carrying a little extra baggage. And as I'm running, say I can only jump and go four feet. Did either of us make it? Absolutely not. See, the truth is, is all of us fall short. None of us can make it on our own. But the good news is, is that's exactly why Jesus came. Just a couple chapters later, Jesus in Matthew 26, 26 would be with his disciples in the upper room and say, hey, take this bread. It's going to picture my body and my body's going to be beaten and bruised and I'm ultimately going to a cross. And then he would say, and take, take this cup. It's going to picture my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness, the remission of sins. So that the only way that you can get to heaven is not through you doing something, but trusting what Jesus has already done and receiving the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. That's the good news. That's not only the good news. Let me tell you, that's the best news of all eternally, of all eternity. You must be ready spiritually. And trying to get before God and reason that you're a really good person just isn't going to work. Which brings us to our second, you must be ready individually. You must be ready individually. Some of you look back at your life and you have a, a long pedigree of pastors or deacons or teachers or godly people in your past. And I'm so glad you do. I, I'm thankful that you do. I, I want our family to have that for generations to come. But can I tell you, your granddad being a deacon or a preacher or a founder of a church, you know, back back in the, in the hills where, you know, your family grew up, means nothing about you standing before God. Romans 14, 12 says that each one of us must give an account of himself to God. That each one of us have the responsibility before God on our own. When I was in uh, college, we'd get these long breaks, and so I would be a substitute teacher at uh, a couple uh, semesters, between semesters. I'd be a substitute teacher. They'd call me and say, hey, uh, you know, can you fill in for this teacher today? I'd, I'd be the substitute. And for that day, I would, would step in and make sure that, you know, nobody killed each other and, and we just made it through the day safely. And there were, pe- there were kids who made it tumultuous for substitute teachers. I have to admit, I did a time or two uh, through my uh, growing up years uh, when the substitutes were there. But let me tell you, there's no substitutes when it comes to standing before God. There's just none. You've got to do it on your own. I mean, it's you and God. You got to be ready spiritually. You got to be ready individually. And then thirdly, you got to be ready continually. Noah teaches us that no one knows the day. The master of the house teaches us that no one knows the hour. That we have to be ready moment by moment. Because just when he, we think it won't happen, might be the very moment it happens. Now, I believe the second coming is going to come in two portions. 
First off, I believe the Lord's going to descend from heaven on a cloud and he's going to rapture those who are believers to heaven. And then I believe that he's going to come again as described in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following. And this time he is coming to take over. But whether you go to meet him, whether the Lord takes you in the air, whether you're here when Jesus comes a second time, you must be ready as an individual and we need to continually be ready. We just don't know. What if it were today? So let me ask, for those of you who don't know that you have Jesus in your life, is there anything in your life that's so sweet and precious that you would hold on to and not receive God's free gift of knowing that you can be forgiven and knowing that you can go to heaven? Is there anything on this horizontal plane that would be so awesome and so wonderful that you would miss eternity over? And then those of you who say and profess and know that you have Jesus in your life, I have one question for you. And here it is. Are you living like he's coming? And that's the question. Do you know that you're ready? Are you living like he's coming?